Welcome, everyone, and thank you so very, very much for joining me today for another episode of Talking Cloud. Now, you know, this is where we talk about cloud, cloud computing, cloud compliance, all things and anything cloud. I mean, this is such a massive and expansive space. There's lots and lots to talk about. Now, the other thing you know is I'm no expert but I do know how to find them. And man, if I got a grandfather of the cloud today, I'm really jazzed. This is a, a someone who I'm proud to be able to call a friend whom I've also worked very closely with as a colleague. Just a bright, brilliant, very, very terrifically smart guy when it comes to the cloud. And you'll hear why I'm saying that once we dig into this podcast. Because the guy blazed some early trails. I mean, this guy's got a long machete, and he was cutting paths with cloud and cloud solutions long before almost all of us. And so it gives me great pleasure. I'm super jazzed to have this conversation today to introduce to you Patrick Pusher. Patrick, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Grant. I'm, I'm excited. You know, it's uh, in this new world of uh, virtualness. Uh, you, you, you get your fair share of Zoom meetings, but not your fair share of really nice, uh, deep, uh, fun conversations. So thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And, you know, full disclosure for the audience. So I've known Patrick since I met Patrick when I joined Dome 9, when I started as the principal evangelist uh, working for Zohar. And in fact, I was super jazzed and excited back then to meet you uh, because I knew you were, in fact, the first North American hire Zohar brought on board at Dome 9. Isn't that right? Yeah, really close. Anyways, that's right. We had done you know, lots of really great work already in terms of software development in Israel. We had hired a few folks uh, in North America who wouldn't work out much, much further. And then, yeah, it was kind of the, the most senior one very quickly, and uh, it kind of grew from there. Tell me, what year was that? Uh, you know, it's all a bit blurry. Be my start with Dome 9 wasn't actually there when I joined them full-time. I, um, I was running a, a blog and a podcast, Speak of the Devil, uh, interviewing uh, cloud leaders. I had started that in about 2012. I'm a copycat. And so, <laughs> no, no. I mean, hey, it was uh, it was something I, I I kind of had to do. I found this new thing called cloud in about I don't know 2010 that I got kind of serious with it, anyways. Wow. And I, I was in a role that I couldn't really kind of express that side. So I built this blog and learned about lots of things and interviewed uh, you know really smart small cloud startup leaders and and dome nine was among them so i got to know them and we sort of you know bounced ideas back and forth from a, from a technical marketing perspective and then i guess i guess it was 2014 when i joined them full-time mm, definitely in the early days now i know because i've known zohar for a number of years we worked together as you know back at checkpoint yeah. and i remember i want to say I want to say t like 2010, 11-ish, I remember having a conversation with Zohar, and he was telling me about what I think was the first use case for the product at the time, that dynamic port, 
the ability to do that dynamic right. leasing, right? So you could have a webmaster somewhere else and send him a link that would dynamically open up the port for him to go in and do whatever he needed to do, and then that's exactly uh, right. He heal up, right? That that I think that was the initial use case for Dome Nine, right? It was. It was kind of that automated port flapping, you know, open when you had a need for it, but. but closed and off to anybody never mind you know a small scope right. when you didn't and uh yeah what what attracted me to to zohar and roy and dome nine was the fact that and you know it was agent based we made lots of pivots kind of from the original product but they were thinking about security problems at scale kind of naturally right and i think there was an inflection point before i met them and joined them that they said hey you know this this public cloud thing is coming uh this asian approach isn't really going to work and we're probably going to have to measure a lot you know different things and so they consciously made a pivot and i think it was sort of that pivot that attracted me because i was learning about the same things at the time and yeah it was just kind of uh i bugged zohar until they gave me a chance <laughs> so so the pivot was to move away from an agent-based solution and was to one that was essentially API-based. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, kind of looking back, what a smart I'm speaking move, for huh? them, I'm speaking, really, really were. I mean, like, like you said, Zohar, you know, he started thinking about security at scale at Checkpoint, right? And, mm -hmm. and did great things there before, before he ever Provider started Provider one, yeah. That's, exactly. that's exactly right. You know, when when I told him about Dome Nine early, my brother, my brother had worked with the product, and he said, "Oh, you know, you're working with a guy that actually built this. That's that's a very cool thing. Yep. Everyone knows that that product and that platform." So, yeah, I think they were always sort of looking at this security at scale problem and realizing there were there are going to be much bigger problems to solve, kind of on the cloud. Let's call it the the cloud security plane, and not necessarily kind of in the workload like they were looking at. Uh, and they were doing things in the agent like automating the firewall, you know, based on group policy you would set in the in the SaaS portal, real real security at, at scale kinds of things. But I think they saw the writing on the wall early. Well, I think one of the hallmarks of a successful generally or destined to be successful, you hope, startup is, you know, fail fast, be able to pivot, be able yes. to adjust. And certainly I think anyone listening would agree agent-based as opposed to really exercising the vast growing and continually uh, increasing availability of APIs, that, that's the way to go, right? I mean, when you look at the list of available functions and services and capabilities, having an agent would be virtually impossible to be yeah. able to accommodate everything, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, yes, yet until relatively recently, it was pretty tough to get away from agents in, in workloads, right? Mm -hmm. uh, certainly agents don't run in Lambda functions and agents don't run in a lot of these uh, services we consume from the public cloud naturally. But even where they do, the cloud API coverage is getting good enough that you can sort of do the same things without them. You know, and right. I think this is sort of the next maybe frontier of because at Dome Nine, you know, we we refocused away from the host, not not exclusively. There were measurements you could do, and you know, make sure that the 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 instances running on AWS were using the correct AMIs. You know, from a cloud control plane, there were things you can do, but from a you know vulnerabilities in the workload, let's say down to that level, mm -hmm. we didn't focus there because mm -hmm. quite frankly, that problem had been 
relatively well solved and executed on, whereas this cloud plane mystery of how are we ever going to know where all these knobs and dials are compared to where they should be, right. you know, they saw that as the greatest opportunity, and right. you know, I think I think proved themselves very well for sure. Yeah, well, and it's interesting too how things continue to evolve. Now, again, I guess just for full transparency and disclosure, you and I met, and we actually had a. A short but sweet, I guess you could say, tenure together, working together before you moved on to other things, which I was, you know, bummed to see you go. But I remember you and I were presenting at an executive alliance conference in Florida when the Dome 9 acquisition was announced. And we were presenting kind of in tandem, co-presenting a presentation we ran with for a while. My CEO told me we had to move our data center to the public cloud, so what's the big deal? And I remember that distinctly because I thought it was such a wonderful volley to have you there because you offered really rich insight that I just didn't have, particularly at that point. It was, what, three months after I had joined, so it was pretty early. You know, I I quickly realized how much you really were a a grandfather of the cloud, and you had a lot of really insightful things. Now, things have changed a lot, Patrick, because I can tell you I didn't really hear a lot about containers or functions, for example, in those early days where it seems like it's so much more now. How, How do people keep up with with this space man i mean it's just so so fast moving what what would you yeah. recommend people do yeah you're right like the space is fast moving and then kind of the the small container space is really fast moving especially right now yep. you know, this week google announced that they're basically their functional equivalent equivalent to lambda on aws will will run containers so you'll be charged computationally like lambda you know by the by the time your code takes to execute you'll be charged the same way, but you'll be running from standard containers that may already exist. That's how easy it'll be. Mm. So even things as simple as, you know, functions as a service aren't well-defined yet and containers may, may be a piece of, you know, how that all kind of winds up in the, in the long term. So you're right. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. I think um, refactoring your application to make use of, all the newest bells and whistles doesn't make sense. So it's you know it's sort of a matter of fact. If you're building apps on any of the big three, you're leveraging the capabilities they have at the time. Hopefully, working with the team to know kind of what's on the horizon if it might make sense for you. But at some point, you know you 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 draw that line. You build your app, and as new functionality comes out, you learn about it, and I guess you refactor it in as as you go. But it it is a challenge. You're right because I might roll my own database today because I have very unique requirements that the as a service offerings you know don't uh, don't really allow me to to run and 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 tomorrow that's a sort of a different option it's you know a service debuts and now i have to scratch my head and think okay do i do i want to maintain this database uh, how much effort has it taken me kind of in the time that i have built it should i just you know use it use an as a service offering that that you know build it yourself to platform service argument continues even for apps that are very successful and then you know, add add securing all those new things that you don't even understand yet, yet fully understand how to secure. I mean, you can sort of see where where that cloud security posture management fit is for sure. And yep. you know, even the smallest organization with the spread that you know, the cloud is just too tempting. You know, imagine these. You you and I spoke the other day about 
you know, imagine if you had a data center in these COVID times and you had an application that was, as many are, experiencing exponential growth, how would you scale that out? How would you procure enough infrastructure to, to power that growth? Whereas, you know, on the, on the public cloud, it's, it's almost a non-issue from a, you know, from a credit card billing perspective, it's sure an issue, but, you know, from a, can I make my app respond to this, uh, this dynamic need that I had no idea was coming? I mean, boy, those that have built on the public cloud, especially in these times, uh, I'll be very thankful. The thing, I guess, for me that's remarkable, Patrick, is the pace and rate of change and subsequent adoption of new technologies, right? I mean, we've all heard how long it took to get to a million televisions, how long it took to get, you know, to a million computers, how long, I mean, the scale, the, the, the speed, it, when something gets hot like containers, yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. And you, you and I remember a time when enterprise IT acted so much more conservatively than, than they do now. I mean, visibly, right? And I think that must be the influence of the small, scrappy startup leveraging the public cloud, kind of proving I can go from concept to execution in you know X amount of time, and the enterprise standing back, going, you know, yeah, we need change management, but wow, it's killing us, right? It yeah. it has to be some sort of uh, uh, happy medium there because uh, the the you know when I started in IT, kind of oh probably a quarter century ago, right? Uh, I couldn't imagine a technology as new as any of this, you know, getting getting greenlit like this at all. Oh, it's true. It's true. Although, you know, I had a very interesting conversation. You know, one of the things I'm uh, in the process and hope to launch here fairly soon is another podcast. What I want to talk about is the journey to cybersecurity maturity and really focus on C-level, uh, uh, CISOs and the like, talking about some of the things that uh, we need to do Right. In order to get to a lower total cost of ownership, in order to really homogenize our environments uh, so we can move at the speed of cloud, at the speed of DevOps. But but the thing he you know kind of brought me back to it's one thing he brought me back to Earth. He says, you know, it's one thing to have really cool stuff. But, you know, he says, like, we saw this uh, really cool endpoint solution. And we're doing a bake-off because we're up for a renewal. And they got a good price and good functionality and all of this. It's really great. He said, but I asked him, do you integrate with ServiceNow? No. Okay. Do you integrate with Splunk? No. And, and quickly, now, albeit it's a large enterprise, but quickly that cool, sexy, uh, slick product starts to lose its luster if it doesn't yeah. fit into something that, that is making my life easier, better, more automated, more efficient. And I'm willing to take a few um, you know, less fancy bells and whistles that's if I right. can plug it into my infrastructure. I think, that, I think that's gonna be a trend if we're gonna be able to keep up and run with the speed of change. Definitely. And the precedence is there, right? When you buy a new 
tool for cost optimization or security? Definitely the, the top questions among the ones you ask are, does it fit into my workflow? Does it export into my standard, which is Sumo Logic? You know, does it does it fit or am I going to have to define new process to even evaluate it? You know, exactly. which is usually a non-starter. You know, and we expect this now with enough connectors and open APIs. This is, you know, this is kind of table stakes. This isn't anything that a vendor should necessarily be proud of. You know, I, talking about, I want to pull on that thread a little in terms of the APIs, because one of the things that it seems, and I'm asking you because you're the expert, but it seems like the enterprise has been accustomed to really, a, let's call it a common denominator of security services that have been available. And it's a pretty comprehensive list. And it doesn't translate directly over into what's available from the public cloud providers. On the contrary, it's it's less, right? It's yeah. just not as far along. Furthermore, when I, you know, as an enterprise build a policy that I want to uniformly impose across my environment, it's one thing. When I go up into the cloud and I might be using two different clouds and I want to uniformly impose a policy or compliance. I want to uniformly utilize APIs. That really gets hard because they're not uniformly published and released. Right. right. Or even envisioned or designed. That's right. I mean, we, we just talked about a real base example where, you know, this function as a service works quite differently over the three providers. I'd argue it's one of the one of the biggest differences among them. You know, they all have ideas of, of sort of workloads and they all have ideas of security groups and kind of the network security plane is somewhat standard, but lots of things aren't. And, and so you're absolutely right. I mean, I think for an organization to tool something themselves that's multi-cloud kind of flies in the face of why we adopt cloud in the first place, right? If I'm yeah. a widget maker, my, my job is to build widgets, not necessarily to, to, to operate a data center to run my applications to make widget making more efficient. So, you know, if, if we're not going to do that, why are we going to write our own tooling for, you know, performance monitoring or cost optimization or security? It, does, it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially in a market that's arguably, I mean, I wouldn't call it mature, but it's maturing quickly with lots of options. Yep. Tell me if I'm wrong, but the fact that these different cloud providers have, well, sacred cows, or at least some of them do, right? Uh, that results in them releasing different APIs and different solutions. I think it's probably, I mean, it's very noticeable around the whole identity access management with one having Active Directory and the others not, and how they end up ultimately implementing that. But that causes challenges for enterprises that, again, are trying to unify that stuff. Yeah, it does. And I think that's, you know, I was sort of inferring the need for this kind of shim between their, how they need to use the cloud and, and the more than one provider they're using. If they're using one, kind of the opposite concern happens where if I dive too deep into all the specific functionality there and, and for some reason, maybe through an acquisition, you know, something, it becomes less strategic for me to use cloud provider A and I want to move to B. I don't want to be in bed so far in A's technology that I can't, you know, uh, uproot what I've done and implement it on B. So there's kind of these concerns on both sides. One side is, you know, I want to run things in, in a standard way and I can't because these three platforms aren't really standard versus, you know, I don't really want to go that deep because in the future, if I, if I want to go multi-cloud, that'll be tough to do. Yep. So I think there has to be this kind of uh, fine line where, 
you know, there's there's a best of breed selection. I think if especially if you're an app builder, if you're an IT department that, you know, stands up a web portal and builds content, you know, that's an easier decision, frankly. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of those moving to Azure and they're very successful. Mm-hmm. If you're building applications, I think it's a much tougher decision now because partly because of what you said, you know, they're one of these three providers has a ton of integration support and is kind of the the, the the base public cloud provider that everybody integrates with and the other two aren't. Yep. And don't downplay the value of that ecosystem and that support from from third party vendors, right? It's super, super important. And that's, you know, one of a, a bunch of, vector, of vectors we look at. But, you know, I just don't think staying so abstract to be to be away from that vendor lock in kind of perspective is super useful because then you just start, you know, you just scratch the surface on, on each one of these three amazing platforms. Whereas, you know, if you do pick one as a primary, you can get down the path of leveraging, you know, Lambda triggered by another service, kind of building this web of services without really having to application build that much. And that's a really powerful thing. Oh, the ability to click a couple of buttons and have this whole thing take off for you is remarkable. Right. I mean, this whole this whole ability to orchestrate the automation. You know, I mean, you're intimately familiar with things like cloud bots and uh, what that project has yeah. kind of grown to become exciting stuff. But, you know, I still have naysayers, Patrick. I hear, you know, I've talked to people that say, oh, it'll never happen, that automation will never materialize, that we're never going to auto remediate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, boy, you're right. We 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 we've heard and we hear that a lot. But yet, I think kind of when you take a step back, it, it does make a lot of sense because we're just getting to the point now where we have tooling. I won't even say we have process yet. Let's say we have tooling that can sort of measure that that breadth of of let's call it the security control fabric of any one of these three providers or more than one of these three providers, you know, in a, in a meaningful way, we're just getting there now. So I think those statements are fueled with, you know, I have no hope. (laughs) How, how, how is this ever going to actually work? Whereas, you know, um, the first wave of cloud security sort of posture management tools sort of prove that no, we can write a bunch of rules, you know, whether they're attached to compliance standards, if you're kind of, you know, officially sort of governed by standards, or whether you want to write rules that make sense for your own, your own organization, right? These tools now, I think, are mature enough where the value is kind of obviously there. And the answer to that question, you can keep your eyes kind of on, on all the controls that you need to. You know, there is an unbelievable number of new innovative slick products that are either out coming out or you're hearing them getting announced i mean this is this i i was talking to somebody about the enormity of the cloud and and despite all these new companies you know it's kind of like the internet you know for five or ten years it's still very early in in shaping and you you could even argue still is and yes. the cloud is is very much like that, uh, but the pace is so remarkable. Uh, it just it's it's mind boggling to to see how fast it's going. So I have to ask because, you know, I really I have a great deal of respect for you, Patrick. I just also really uh, regard very highly your knowledge and understanding of this whole space in the cloud. And so, what I'd like to ask you to share is maybe your ideas, your thoughts. For those that are not yet fully in or 
they're getting ready to go in or at, at some various, let's call it, earlier stage of that uh, launch into the cloud. Or maybe they're in the cloud, and but not really at full stride. I'm wondering, you know, what three, like, things, you know, should they really focus on? Should they really make sure that they get right, that they don't do? Just, you know, what, what three tips would you yeah. give? But before you answer, I need to keep the lights on, so I'm going to pay the bills. I'll be right back. How well are you protected in the cloud? How fast do you move when the cloud moves at the speed of DevOps? And do you have the confidence you see everything you need to see, good or bad? Checkpoint Software. Cloud with confidence. See it. Control it. Secure it. Okay, Patrick, what do you think? Give me three things that you just give as key recommendations for my listeners, our sure. listeners. Sure. And I think, you know, how, how well you might already know these three things kind of depends where on that continuum you are. If you're, if you're sort of just still theoretically sort of researching the cloud, you know, you're sort of on one side of this continuum. If you've already got a handful of workloads in, which is probably the more realistic case, you've already done a, a, a test, a POC, something, you recognize the value and, and now you go, oh, you know, what do I do? I think the first thing is be weary of those vendors that you use in the data center now that say they've got you covered in the public cloud. Ask them how and ask them how they intend to go from measuring, you know, base level things about your environment to, you know, AWS is 170 services. And of course, no product measures them all, but, you know, that is the, that's the goal of sort of the cloud security posture management uh, vertical, if you will, is to, you know, support as many services as their customers need them to, and to, you know, compose meaningful measurements of those services so you know where you are. Um, it's not all you need, right? There's there's still some more traditional things we need in our security toolbox, but it, it, that has now become absolutely one of those essential things. So just be wary of, of, uh, Vendors, solutions, even things that, that maybe your champions within your organization want to bring from a process or tooling perspective from your data center, just vet them and make sure they belong. You know, you don't want to start your effort with a bunch of technical debt, right? Maybe, for example, if you're, you know, if you've got a, uh, a vulnerability management, intro workload vulnerability management solution that's agent driven, you know, just approach those things with caution if you need it. And if it's licensed and it's the most affordable thing, great. But just um, have that in the back of your mind that the cloud provides, you know, ways to do similar things uh, with much more efficiency and often with much more capability as well, you know, yep. through, through that API coverage. So yep. that's probably the first thing. And, and be wary of the lift and shift promise, I would say, right? I mean, the vendors that have, you know, that go a little too far on, ah, oh, no problem. Just, you can just move it up there and you're all set. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I approach that from a, from a vendor tooling perspective, but you're right. I mean, everything, the, the, the tendency will be to lift and shift and then you'll sort of make that commitment to say, and then I'll leverage the platform capabilities better. And, and we know, you know, the, we know what happens with those best intentions when, when the world heats up. Right. So, yeah. um, uh, bite the bullet, do it, uh, make sure you've got some sort of security solution on the way in, you know, whether that's, and, and often it is 
kind of the internal alarms you can set up within each provider. That's often how you start, if you even start there. Uh, but, you know, do something. Do something on the way in and, and stick to that policy. You know, try to get some governance wrapped around this beast because I tell you, when when those people with ideas realize how quickly they can go from idea to, you know, I can do something about it, rather than having this massive procurement cycle in front of an idea, it just it just blossoms. You know this as, as well as I do. Yeah. So. So get ready. Yeah. <laughs> get ready for that floodgate. Yeah, that's right. I was on a Gartner briefing actually this morning, and I'm surprised to still hear so much about a skill shortage. Finding you know qualified, certified, and experienced people to lead your cloud efforts is challenging. Yep. Um, I wouldn't take that for granted. Often it takes a long time to find the right resources, especially of any sort of initiative at scale, right? Yep. At Dome Nine, we would we would meet companies with new initiatives. We'd meet new digital banks, for example, who had really really great technical plans, and they would underestimate what it took to power them. Yeah. And and we saw it time and time again. So so that skill shortage. I mean, it's not a technical thing, but it's important. And it, it you know it came up today, and I thought, boy, I kind of I kind of thought we were over that. You know, yeah. uh, I figured uh, uh, your average kind of uh, sysadmin or IT architect would have you know seen the writing on the wall and at least kind of prepared themselves for, for what's about to happen and, and you know, captured the opportunity. Let's be frank, if, if you're somebody in IT who knows both the old way of doing it and the new way of doing it, you're, you're really valuable, right? So I think uh, that's really key as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's great stuff. I guess what I think about is I think about those, those admins, uh, those network guys, those security guys, those on-prem guys and gals, they're all drinking from fire hose and we're saying, Hey, we got a better drink, you know? And, yeah. and that's, that's one of the, I think problems is everybody is busier than a three headed cat at a bird show stopping and, and, and God forbid someone would RTFM, right? I mean that yes. there, we don't, but I think that that has consequences and the excessive use of the same terms with things like eyes and elastics, like an elastic <laughs> load balancer, Right. Well, every network manager says, oh, I worked with F5's load balancer for years. I, that's yes. no problem. And they oh. let their hair down and oversimplify it. That's right. I, and I live that. You know, I, I worked with the startup, I guess, back in about 2011 before Dome 9 that, you know, clearly moving what we were doing as a service provider, we were kind of a niche uh, a technology learning classroom provider that was powered by VMs, but powered by VMs in a data center. And moving that to the public cloud made drop dead easy financial sense there was a technical path forward and i just they just couldn't 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 do it you know for, for lots of those reasons for sure mm -hmm. and uh, you know very understandable then far less understandable now and that's i think why i was surprised to hear that it was still something that you know that were was a reality and that uh, people had to know yeah and it's going to it's going to continue in fact you know more specifically as it relates to cyber security uh, resources it's horrible it's horrible. Yeah. And what's happening is, you know, the demand is increasing at a much higher uh, compound annual rate than the colleges, universities, trade schools are producing to fill the need already. So the gap's widening, uh, which just translates to the bad guys get another advantage. I mean, as it is, we all know we have to be right every time. They only have to be right once, right? We've all heard that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very true. And I think um, if if I had to think of that third thing, that third piece of advice for somebody dipping their toe in the public cloud is, um, 
you know, it, it's a platform for a reason. Um, it, it, it's fine to sort of run all of your services in virtual machines to start. But I think even moving to the cloud, you know, takes for me at least the the successful migrations I have seen, and I mean migrations of a of an IT department, not a migration of an application. Right. I mean a wholesale. You know, we're going to adopt this this. We're thing moving we into the cloud. Yeah, this thing that we once called just someone else's computer, we now see the power. We now understand the sort of platform instant on nature of this, and we're taking it seriously. That's you know, getting there. I think, you know, it's um, it's it's a challenge, and I think it's it really has to do with kind of the use case for the migration, um, the the projects that that I have seen, and and most of this experience I think comes from from Dome Nine. We had the pleasure of working with. You know, initially kind of a, a smaller, maybe developer-centric kind of organization. Some startups themselves definitely saw value in Dome 9 early. And then as we adapted the product, certainly more of a, an enterprise appeal. And I think those those enterprise customers who found the, the biggest challenge in sort of adopting the, the mindset of the cloud, never mind the technology, the way they were successful was, you know, an, an initial project where they could, you know, make a difference uh, and, and it was mostly in AWS at the time because it was early. Make a difference there, consuming some of that those services rather than you know bringing virtual machines over part and parcel as they were in the data center and standing that up. I've seen that too. The the value kind of seen from that kind of solution when you have uh, power on VMs and 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 they stay on for perpetuity and they do the same thing that you did in your data center. Um, you know that that was where I, I found kind of the the most migration of, of the mindset of, of IT in general kind of stopped because the, the value, quite frankly, isn't there. VMs are VMs and, you know, um, it might seem a little bit cheaper on paper, but as your applications grow and they need an additional core and additional memory, you know, VM for VM, I'm not sure the public cloud is all that uh, of an interesting use case or all that of a uh, cost-optimized use case, right? So I think the successful POC into the public cloud takes a look at an application that you might run in your data center, uh, maybe a very standard web application that's got a database tier, a web tier, maybe some static content somewhere, and it's refactored maybe only slightly, right, to leverage maybe storage as a service, right, block storage from, from AWS, leveraged maybe, you know, to uh, house data in a in a database that you don't have to, you know, uh, maintain the, the, the OS and patch anymore, right? right? Uh, uh, that That's where I think the, the biggest kind of successful uh, migration wins come from because I think it's the easiest to, you know, demonstrate the, the value difference for sure. Sure, and then if that web server happens to be one that has a store and you introduce a new product that becomes the rave and goes viral it'll be able to scale and accommodate that demand where you'd be up against some real challenges to try to accommodate that, right? I mean, that's the other side that you can clearly demonstrate when you move into the cloud. Well, that's right. And, and unfortunately, we have to think about kind of the reverse situation in these times, right, where you have a service yeah. that maybe isn't nearly as in demand as it once was kind of in these post-COVID times. The opposite is true as well, right? If your app is architected properly, you can make use of the sort of scale down, you know, pay only for yep. what you use phenomenon as well. And that's that's equally as important, you know, rapid innovation, absolutely. But I was watching uh, 
the Twitter feed of uh, of someone that I respect. His name is Joe Emerson, and he's uh, once a cloud guy, now moved on to sort of implement cloud in a, in a very sort of traditional business. He does it with uh, with insurance, and he was kind of quoting figures that it took. You know, I served this many insurance customers last year for this much money on AWS, and had a slight breakdown, and it was absolutely amazing. Wow! I urge every, I urge everyone to go take a look at it. His name is Joe Emerson, and I believe uh, spell that uh, it's, Joe. Uh, Oh, I, I M- probably could like E M E S O N M S. Yeah, E M I S S O N. Perhaps okay. uh, it's called Branch Insurance. Branch just, Insurance. Okay. I'll, I'll throw a plug out there for him and what yeah. he's doing. Um, but you know, he's a very smart guy, and and you know, he has led a team to architect a solution that that clearly takes you know to get numbers like that. It clearly makes use of scale up and scale down economics, which is you know not something you get to in in, in your first kick at AWS. It truly isn't, yeah. but You'll never get there if you don't bite the bullet and say, I'm here because of the platform nature. Let me leverage at least part of it. Yeah, yeah. And and it is a mistake, I think, for people to think I'm going to save money by moving everything up into the cloud. Because that's, as you said, if I got a VM running here or I'm VM running there, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The, the, the value really comes into play when you exercise the attributes available only in the cloud, the ephemeral aspects the dynamic agile aspects those are the real values that you've got to posture yourself to take advantage of wouldn't you agree absolutely and i think you know there's one stage of value and as you keep looking down the the chain of geez how do i even can i operate this with the same kind of level of service the same slis to my either internal or external stakeholders and reduce my costs you know then it takes knowledge then it takes some really deep experience of knowing about you know reserved instances and and how i can architect an application kind of around that where almost the app speaks um, the language of the cloud provider via API and scales itself, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're getting to. Yeah, we're not we're not there quite yet, but you know, imagine that future where the scale just sort of happens. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. You know, I just I love. You know, I'm an old man now. I was a young man when I got into this business. It still is something, frankly, Patrick. I pinch myself uh, because you know I think as I've told you. You know, in my very early 20s, selling fishing tackle and knives for a wholesale distributor, and I didn't fish and didn't carry a knife, and we bought a computer, and then in 1983, helped open up an Apple dealership, and it's been the most remarkable ride. And what I love is, and I've said this for many years, no matter when you get into it, this industry that is, no matter when you get into it, you're getting in at the beginning of something, and that's what also makes it just so exciting, whether it's, you know, getting into virtualization back when that kind of went about or now the cloud and zero yeah. trust and all all these. I mean, it's it's really, really it's exciting. I, I've told this to my wife and my kids quite a bit recently. There's one thing that can be the mother of invention, and we all know it, right? It's necessity. And that's been imposed on us uh, in a rather abrupt manner recently. That's right. But it's been cool to see how people have stepped up, not for this podcast, but I'll just throw it out there. I think an interesting discussion would be how much memory should our lives have, right? And, and what I mean is, yeah, you know, how it was before 
right? I think of a big, thick, fat rubber band that you put your hands into and you, you stretch it apart and then you let go and it, that got almost 100% memory, right? Right back to how it was. Is that how our life is going to be? Right. Or are we going to see there's a, there's a balance here that may actually end up being a positive thing in, in, many, in many regards? I agree. And at least manage that expectation of if that if that rubber band doesn't bounce back to be entirely the same way, it's okay. It, it is okay. We'll That's be all exactly, right. And, and moreover, maybe we'll even be smarter. You know, and this, uh, again, is far off of the cloud. But when you start looking at things like supply chain and how it's been disrupted and where our dependencies are, our, as in your country, my country, the citizens around the globe, I think a lot of people are doing some heavy-duty soul-searching because we're starting to realize uh, we don't want to be in this situation again. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, imagine the contingencies that got blown out of the water and that are now being rethought about, you know, mostly probably from a personal perspective. I think we probably, all of us had thought about the technology side of this, but boy, when everyone goes home and no one's in the office anymore, things become challenging. Yeah, it's remarkable. Well, Patrick, this is so cool. I just, I love talking with you. I appreciate you a bunch. I, I hope oh, we can too, have buddy. you back again. Uh, thank you very, very much. I appreciate you spending so much time with me today. So thanks for joining me on Talking Cloud. Thank you, buddy. I had a great time. I'd love to come back. Thank you so much. We'll have you back, man. So, hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very, very much. I hope you've enjoyed the program today. Tell all your friends, subscribe, share, and thanks again for joining me on Talking Cloud. Have a great day. Yeah.